Hello, um, we are here with the ambassador of Kazakhstan, Magjan Ilyasov. Welcome to the Uva Radio Studio. Thank you very much for inviting. Thank you for coming after your talk um, at the Uva. And um, yeah, you're here, you um, told some students something about some things about Kazakhstan, about the history, about the culture. And you are in the Netherlands as the ambassador of Kazakhstan. And um, we have a very, um, actually a question about yourself mm. to start off with. Um, why did you choose to go into diplomacy? Why yeah. are you the ambassador? Well, in my case, I think it was uh, external factors mostly because I was born in 74 in 1991 when I graduated from high school. That was the year the Soviet Union collapsed. It's a mm -hmm. good time to graduate. <laughs> and my country became independent. And yeah. independent country needs a truly independent country needs a foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Foreign policy needs diplomats, and we, by definition, by that time, didn't really have a lot of professional diplomats. Mm. So there was uh, this gap, uh, gap in the market, in the market, yeah. and it was exciting because you could go and represent your country. Yeah. And uh, I was studying in a high school in uh, Almaty, in the former capital, which was kind of intensive English language learning school so I had this extra asset so I was I was already fluent in English by the age of 16 wow. and then we uh, start having these faculties uh, in many universities who would open them for international relations because before that as I was saying there was no such a profession mm. so I uh, entered one of the faculties graduated with honors or uh, cum laude as I say and then um, got for an interview as many young students and uh, got through and worked for three years in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and then uh, our capital was moved to the new location. Yeah, that was in '97, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. How did how did that go? Because that seems like a crazy thing to do. And the new one, Astana, it wasn't a massive city before yeah. it was changed to the capital. Why did they do that? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Because, uh, for example, uh, at that time, Almaty was already over one million people of population and location of the city is in the bowl of the mountains. So it can't really Yeah, it's expand. in the east, isn't it? It's southeast. Southeast. And they yeah. wanted it more central or they want more central. They want mm. to have more space to just build the the new capital. And later on we realized that there was also another reason. For example, the whole nation needed a national project because uh, when the decision was made in ninety four, I mean the, 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 the mood in the in the in the population was kind of depressing because the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of economic yeah. ties were broken. Mm -hmm. So we need an, a big project to kind of to to, to bring more spirit and, and uh, inspiration in our people. Yeah, because that transition from obviously being part of the Soviet Union to an independent country, you know, just overnight, how did your country cope with that? Was it was it good in many ways or was there any strife or well, that happened, I was 16, so my personal experience was that I didn't really feel much when you're 16, everything is cool and nice. You're not, and too, political. <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. too political. So, but I could see my parents, I mean, the, a lot of like lifestyles and normal things has, has collapsed. I mean, we had a, uh, the shutdowns of electricity, the currency was uh, like, uh, inflation rate was crazy, like 2000% per year and people losing jobs, the factories shutting down. This is a big, big, uh, destruction of, of social metrics, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, uh, as it happens in life, once you go through that stage, you need this, you know, drive forward, you need this inspiration. That's where the relocation of the capital came handy. So many people 
a younger generation, they went to this new capital because for them this was like going to America, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of yeah. thing. Uh, and the all the Kazakhstani style, like, dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Promise. pursue. You are part of yeah. this new project. You build. You build the new capital. You build the new symbol of independent Kazakhstan because the previous capital was kind of Soviet capital, yeah. the Soviet Republic. So yeah. this came out of the younger generation and the parents' generation, or this drive, or more uh, the. This was, I would say, middle-aged generation was really behind that. Uh, younger generation were kind of. Uh, inspired but they were more kind of you know privates in the army going doing that thing but also they were I would call generals or they were senior age politicians who were you know really driving force of that and the, uh, the former president Nazarbayev was the one who yeah. you know voiced this idea for the first time and then he was he was there leading 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 all the way yeah. Do you think that it was um, a good move in the end and that it has worked out the capital change the capital change worked out very well we had uh, the second uh, kind of uh, uh, locomotive of economic growth because the building of the capital actually requires a lot yeah, of a lot business of yeah. construction. So it was kind it's of a big project. A big project, and then there was an interesting shift of demographics. Uh, we brought a lot of younger generation to that part of Kazakhstan, which kind of the depressing part of Kazakhstan because mm -hmm. it wasn't doing well after the collapse of Soviet Union. So all these changes were really good, and uh, Astana at that time, now it's called Nur Sultan. Because yeah, we were, we're just going to mention yeah, that. Yeah. That's the next so point. it became a really beautiful city, very modern, and uh, I went there as, you know, uh, as a young uh, diplomat, right diplomat. Yeah, but yeah. I got married, my kids are from Astana now, Nur Sultan. Nur Sultan. So we have the, the whole new generation who associate themselves with that, with that new capital. So the capital was called Nur Sultan after that, right? And why exactly was this decided and when? Uh, and what did this, were people okay with this? Was this like a, uh, a very accepted change? So the renaming of the capital took place very recently. On the yeah, like two yeah, months ago. Two, was it? two months yeah. ago, yeah, but 10th of uh, March, I would say. No, 10th of, 10th of February. February, February. I think. I think, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and it was uh, done uh, to honor the first president of Kazakhstan, the person who relocated the capital, mm -hmm. who did create the modern Kazakhstan. Yeah. So, yeah. Nursultan Nazarbayev for us is like Likwan Yu of Singapore. He's like Ataturk. <laughs> he's Ataturk, the father of the nation. Uh, he's the father of the nation. So, yeah. he, he truly, he is. So, that was a move by the new president, and it was supported by. Uh, many people. Do you think it was um, somewhat to consolidate his power in the same way that, you know, leaders often take their past leaders and, you know, glorify them in some way to make themselves more legitimate? Uh, I don't think President Tokayev needs that because he's very well-established politicians. Mm -hmm. He was a prime minister of Kazakhstan at a certain time. He was minister of foreign affairs. Then he worked as a deputy secretary general of the United Nations, heading yeah. the Geneva. So he he's a quite well-established politician. Yeah. yeah, inside Kazakhstan, he's very well known. So I think it's not consolidation for him. Uh, it's more really to pay respect to mm. to President Nazarbayev. So yeah, I think that's the only reason. Mm. And so when uh, the president Nazarbayev was uh, in his in his position of the president, because he is um, retired now. Um, Kazakhstan developed a lot economically and um, political, I'd say, because it joined the UN and the OSCE, and it's very internationally recognized. It plans new projects like the new Silkway, right? Yeah. Uh, and agriculture is a big 
part yep. um, and it has it's the main it's got the most important spaceport uh, do you think all these things are achievements of uh, Nazarbayev and like what is his um, his yeah his heritage right? like what does he leave what is the place the Kazakhstan that he leaves behind I think the Kazakhstan that he leaves behind is a truly uh, country on the map of the world mm -hmm. so people now know about Kazakhstan it's a country that uh, enjoys uh, respect and friendly relations with all its neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. It's a country that is known in European Union as a good place to invest. It's known around the world as a good place to invest. We are the largest uh, recipient of investments in our part of the world by far. Uh, also, we are the country that uh, emanates you know, peace and stability for its population and neighbors. We have uh, almost 100 different different communities and uh, ethnic ethnicities living yeah. together about 40 religions and different small kind yeah, of how faith. do you manage to merge a country like that with so many ethnicities together and make it all work and be cohesive also well it was like that at when the soviet union collapsed so in 1991 we were very multi-ethnic community because in soviet times the soviet regime used to uh, do a lot of interesting programs like development of uh, virgin lands so they brought a lot of like Russian yeah, Ukrainians yeah, yeah, and yeah. Belarusians to Kazakhstan then during World War II Stalin decided that Koreans cannot be trusted so they moved a lot of <laughs> Koreans from far east of Soviet Union to Kazakhstan then the Kazakhstan was a place where several of like gulag camps were located mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of prisoners when they left the prisons they stayed in Kazakhstan so, so in 1991 because of some good and negative reasons we were very very multi ethnic community mm -hmm. and we we survived before during Soviet times and Stalin times because we were a multi ethnic community that worked together and Kazakhs basically are very tolerant and welcoming people yeah, yeah. and after 1991 it only m became stronger uh, we have about 30% of ethnic population, uh, ethnic Russian or Rus Russian-speaking people. We have uh, quite a substantial Korean population, some German community yeah, from from, that, yeah. from people who lived in Soviet Union. Uh, I mean, a lot of people yeah. uh, interact together. So that it says. Uh, oh no, you. It first. says on the. I read some bits of the on the website of the embassy of mm. Kazakhstan and the Netherlands. And it says on the website that one of the goals is the of Kazakhstan is the assistance and integration and formation of a common space of peace and creativeness in Eurasia. Yeah. And this is in context to the, I think it's about 130 different ethnicities in yeah. Kazakhstan. So what does Kazakhstan actively do to ensure this, um, this tolerance? Are there any projects or are there any yeah, policies? Because it seems like um, from what you just said that the Kazakhstan national identity didn't really exist before the Soviet era and that it was crafted out of all these different immigrant groups working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, How do they, you know, reconcile that? Also considering nowadays? the size of Kazakhstan because it's really huge. <laughs> We have to differ here two terms. One is Kazakh, ethnic Kazakh, and then Kazakhstani. Mm -hmm. Oh, so there is an ethnic there Kazakh is group. A yeah, yeah. Are you an ethnic yeah, Kazakh? Yeah, me, me. For okay, example, yeah. if we talk about Americans, everyone is American there, but you have Hispanic American, You have black Americans. This yeah. kind of, yeah, but North they're all Americans. America At the also. end of the day, they are very proud of their country. They have the same feelings for, for their flag and history. Same with Kazakhstan. So we're all Kazakhstanis there. We're very proud of our history. But also we have, every community has their own rich culture, traditions, language. And it is preserved by the constitution and the government because we have media that broadcasts sometimes on different languages about eight 
languages, uh, not like one newspaper in eight languages, but Korean community has their own newspaper in Korean language. Mm-hmm. German community has their own paper in German language. We have drama theaters in the communities they can perform in their languages. So this is all kind of in practice, but also by the decree of the president, we establish a so-called the assembly of the people of Kazakhstan. So every big community or small community are represented in these organs, and they have a quota in the parliament. So yeah. they are represented in the parliament, and they can yeah. speak on behalf of, 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 of their communities. Do you think those quotas work? Because often when they try and implement quotas in workplaces, they lead to other problems. Well, I never heard that this quota will not were not fulfilled. There is always they're quite small quotas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. are not they are not big quotas, but uh, because the, there is no issue of interracial yeah. interaction. Because mm-hmm. that's very why fascinating. I I had no idea that Kazakhstan was such a you know multi ethnic country, and that you know yeah. you had you have eight different main languages within the city. Yeah, that's big cities, the the urban areas, they are more cosmopolitan in that respect. But also we have historic like pockets of 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 communities where people like, like northern part which is closer to Russia is naturally more r- ethnic Russian populated southern part is mostly Kazakh populated but also it's it's very mixed yeah is How it um, so because the main official language is Kazakh right yeah. is it obligatory to learn this language or um, or are there communities that really only speak their own language so we have Kazakh language as the official state language but uh-huh. we also have a Russian language which has a status of intercommunity Inter, uh, of intercommunal language, the, the yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is the this is the glue that keeps all of us talking to each other and okay. interacting. Uh, the Kazakh language. If you don't learn the Kazakh language, no, no one's going to put you in jail or <laughs> penalize <laughs> you for that. But you will have more working opportunity, professional opportunities if you also know Kazakh language. Mm. Okay, that's that's an extra. Of asset. course, I mean you live in Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. 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 but we're striving for trilingual, trilingual society. Yeah, trilingual. And the third language will be English. Oh. Not, no, not wow. Chinese. So we're talking about Russian, Kazakh, and English. And uh, President Nazarbayev, when he was stepping down in his address to the people about his decision, the end part was his vision of the future of Kazakhstan. And he said, I I have a dream that the future <laughs> generation of Kazakhstan will be trilingual. They will be speaking freely, freely this real language with respect. That's beautiful, yeah. So this is what we want. That's why, is it, why is it um, English and not Chinese? Because you have a border with China, don't you? Because I think we we believe we belong to bigger global community, and English is the language. You belong of more to the European global community, European than the global Chinese. and global the community in general, in yeah. general. But we also have some people who want to work and specialize and trade with China. They, we have a lot of people who uh, learn China, but Chinese. But I think the English language gives you more opportunity to be truly yeah. a, a global I, citizen. I think at this stage it definitely does. It, but it I feel did. like you know. You Hundred know. years, you know, you, you never, never know. know. <laughs> China might might go crazy, but um, yeah, I feel like how do you compare the way of living here and the way in which they try and integrate different communities in Holland, in Amsterdam, and in the Hague compared to Kazakhstan? Because it kind of sounds like in Kazakhstan they might actually be better at it. Because when I when I've lived here, I've noticed that there's a lot of different communities living side by side, yeah. and they don't manage to integrate them very effectively. Uh, I. I can't really comment on the situation in the Netherlands in my official capacity, but I'll take off my hat as an ambassador, okay, just, just yeah. as a citizen, because okay. I was here. I, w- I would like to, to share my observation. I think uh, the thing here is that uh, there is a very thin line between being uh, tolerant mm-hmm. and being indifferent. Yeah, e- uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> so I think yeah. what we see here, sometimes people say, I'm tolerant to you. 
which means yeah. I d- really don't care what you do. Mm. Yeah. So here we see that flip, a small thin line is crossed, so uh, people just don't care how you live. So uh, that's why people try try to centrifuge in their own community because yeah. they feel that no one really cares what they're yeah. doing. So instead of integrating, they, they try to preserve their culture. Yeah. Because nobody gets told to learn Dutch yeah. or to you know take on our customs or yeah. think about the country that you're now living in because they just don't really care. Yeah, but uh, I think it is it is recognized by the Dutch government because two years ago in his royal speech, His Majesty, King of the Netherlands, he, he said, uh, there was a para, he said, we would like uh, the people who come to the Netherlands to be more integrated, to learn our language, to to live here with us, which means they have also to follow the rules and laws mm-hmm. of this country. So uh, it is it is an issue that uh, the Dutch government is paying attention to. And it's funny as well because that policy of tolerance yeah. has actually led to an atmosphere of, in- of intolerance. Yeah. Because now you have a situation where the tolerance and the indifference goes so far yeah. that it turns into people being a bit racist and xenophobic yeah. because it, it reaches a tipping point yeah. where they go, I'm actually sick of all these immigrants who come yeah. here, don't learn the language, don't integrate. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, as you were saying, there's a thin line. Yeah. Well, in our case in Kazakhstan, again, uh, we, we claim to be tolerant people uh, historically because the Silk Road was crossing Kazakhstan mm-hmm. so from yeah. centuries ago we, we met different cultures and we realized yeah. that it's better to trade to them to learn their language to speak to them it, it makes it much more easier and again Soviet Union because it was a union of many republics many ethnicities we mixed together interacted together so we are very tolerant and it, it, it is really genetic now and we don't see many problems with people integrating because there's no really need to integrate because uh, we don't have very strict rules of Kazakh community. Mm. It's just common sense. And if you follow common sense, you are part of Kazakhstan. But again, every ethnicity have their own culture and everything. So uh, I would say for for a Russian guy uh, to come to Kazakh, Wedding of uh, wedding is fun, yes, but like funeral. Yeah, he he might he might feel a little bit awkward because of the tradition, some things. But we have many people who come to show their respect, but no one expects him to follow the all the the rituals of that. That's really nice ceremony. So integration is very voluntarily, and it's kind of very smooth. You know, know, I think that's the difference in a country that was, you know, founded upon. A multi-ethnic, multi-racial community compared mm-hmm. to one like Holland, which is founded on a homogenous community. But um, to maybe come back to your work as an ambassador, and now that we talk about Kazakhstan and Netherlands, is there how are the relations between Kazakhstan and the Netherlands? Um, is there what is your also what does your job here uh, entail? What is your position? I'm putting back my hat on. <laughs> And I, 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 I'm very happy to state that the relations between Kazakhstan and Netherlands are very healthy and robust. Is that all because okay. of you? Uh, no, because, because of the history of the relations, because when Kazakhstan became an independent state, Netherlands were one of the first countries to recognize our independence, and not just oh. by recognize it, but immediately we saw the, uh, the flow of Dutch business coming and discovering new opportunities, we had ABM Amra opening its doors in 1993 in Kazakhstan. Royal Dutch Shell came in, and then it, I mean, and then the whole thing followed. So, when I say healthy, robust relations, I mean two segments. One is political relations and economic relations, and they're both interlinked. Mm-hmm. 
So if you have a very good political relations, which we do have, we have a constant regular context between the heads of states and the political agenda. We have much more in common than we have some disagreements upon, and these things are, mm. can be negotiated. That helps to create confidence for businessmen from the Netherlands. Say, okay, with this country, we can work because politically they are good with our country. Yeah. There you go. And it's vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Good, strong relations. We have so much investments and interaction with this. Then we need to find a good yeah. way to to solve our small small issues if we have any. So therefore, I would say um, it's a healthy relations. My mission is focused mostly on keeping this uh, condition of the relations uh, healthy and robust, but also uh, build up on economic side of the relations. I think that is something we are focusing now. Thankfully, because we have political relations that that are ticking like a, a Swiss clock. So it's no, no issues <laughs> yeah. 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 Perfect. How do you feel about, because um, obviously right now is a big time of, of uh, not you know chaos, but it's very un uncertain what's going to happen in the future. And now that Nazarbayev has just resigned and you're going to have your second head of state mm. in your country's history, do you feel hopeful for the future of Kazakhstani politics or do you think there's going to be massive changes? Because he's been the leader mm. for the whole time you guys have existed as a country. And do you think it's going to become a situation where there'll be lots of leaders and there'll maybe be higher standards of, you know, participation and opposition parties and maybe more democracy in your country? I think exactly because the way this transition of power was carried out, I, I, I have very optimistic view on how Kazakhstan will be developing, political system will mm. be developing in the future. Because uh, uh, Nursultan Nazarbayev performed a... I would say uh, a tailor-made uh, transition of power for Kazakhstan, given the conditions of the outside environment and inside environment. So he did it through the very open public TV address to the nation. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a speech at the parliament. It wasn't a meeting Secret of the government. No, yeah. he did it openly. He talked to the people. He talked to the people and he shared his views about the past. How he he uh, constantly said, "We, we as Kazakhstans, we build this. We, we mm. achieve that." And then he shared his views of the future, which was also a guideline for the mm -hmm. for the next leaders to follow. Let's not forget that Sultan Nazarbayev hasn't gone. He's there, and he is in top political leadership of the country. He continues to remain as the chairman of the National Security mm -hmm. Council. So Council. he still has influence. He's a leader of the biggest uh, political party in the country. He yeah. is not the president of the country, but he is there, yeah. and his voice uh, is important. Yeah. So it's very important that he is there, He's observing this. He's making sure that everything goes smoothly because uh, in our part of the world, this is what is most important and valuable. Political stability, integrity of your nation, mm -hmm. independence. So this all has been done with these three priorities in mind. And I can't look into the future too far, but I think what Nazarbayev did lays ground for the brand new political culture in our part of the world, not only in Kazakhstan, how you transit power. Because if you look at the, some countries in the neighborhood, the president stayed until he, the day he died. Yeah. Yeah. He never transited power. They were revolutions with you know burning the buildings and throwing out the president. He had to flee in the airplane. I mean, this was happening in, in, in the neighboring countries. Yeah. And Kazakhstan showed an example how you do it right. Mm. Given all the again the conditions of of the external situation now part of the world, so I think it's a very good f 
founding stone to build the the political culture with 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 fair competition with elections with candidates running worthy candidates running mm. for the president and fair elections as well and yes. fair elections well, there have been some criticisms made yeah. by western democratic institutions on Kazakhstan and not to criticize your country or your way of doing things but i think it's has um Nazarbayev made um assertions that it, it is going to change and there's going to be more opposition the opposition exists in Kazakhstan mm-hmm. they are open to criticize they have near newspapers Uh, but what we want to see in Kazakhstan a more productive opposition mm. because there is there is a difference in quality of oppositions and I when see, you yeah. have just a opposition that talks that's the worst case scenario we wish we have more you know people who 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 speak about how we improve life in Kazakhstan who work as a team instead of just criticizing other some individuals or some actions mm. so so far Unfortunately, the opposition is of that, uh, that a lower Some grade. Lower grade, I would say. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, obviously, when you have a a figure like Nazarbayev who unites the country and manages to take that transition period, going from a poor Soviet state yeah. into a relatively prosperous, developing country in Central Asia, I can see why you know people weren't so concerned about opposition parties when you have a figure there who's saying, "I'm going to stay here until I think my time is done." Mm-hmm. and you know maybe not have term limits and i think in the west we tend to have this you know holy view of democracy yeah. and that this is the main thing and that it has to be opposition and changing and all the time but actually that's i think a factor of our privilege more than anything the fact that we don't have to worry about living in poverty as much and a lot of the time people don't care about these things as much they would rather care about good policies effective governance yeah projects that are going to make people happy and living well basically what is called national interest exactly yeah. yeah so for us any disruption is uh something we must avoid but yeah. i think it's it's a tricky one because obviously in china you see a situation where the government yeah. has become very very productive and very effective in their governance but the democracy and the freedoms yeah. have really taken a hit as a result of that yeah and yeah. i think it's it's a balance that you have to strike well It's also contextual, I guess. If mm. it works for a country like Kazakhstan, then so be it. Um, I mentioned the external factors, yeah. and you mentioned China. So, China is our immediate border, mm-hmm. and Russia is our immediate neighbor. With these two countries, we are bordering and neighboring. So, we also have to consider what is their understanding yeah. and uh, point of view on what's happening. Yeah, in the geopolitical reality as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all this uh, given and taken, I think. Uh, This is uh, the best transition of power that can be done in Kazakhstan in 2019. Democratic society with democratic values is uh, the ultimate goal of the development of our country. It is it is the destination we were striving, but it needs time to get there. So mm-hmm. some people in 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 Western countries they have to realize that they cannot expect us to 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 just sleep in there. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Again. This is the first time in the history of Kazakhstan that we are basically building our independent statehood. Before that, we were part of uh, Russian Empire. Before that, uh, before that, we were part of Soviet Union, Russian Empire. In 15th, 16th, 17th century, they were a kingdom of Kazakhs, but that's too f- far in the past. So before now that was we are, Mongols. Yeah, yeah. But now we're really building our independent state. So for us, our territorial integrity, independence, stability, national interest are of priority. Yep. Okay. Um one concluding question, mm-hmm. uh, again a private one. Do you miss Kazakhstan and 
What do you miss? If so, what do you miss? Uh, I miss mountains. Okay. Yeah, in there the are no mountains. Yeah. No, there's, uh, there's a lot of wind few, here. Yeah, <laughs> wind, maybe some we, dunes and the some beaches. Winds some, as well, yeah. some winds up north <laughs> as well. No, and I mean, given the technology, you Skype, you WhatsApp, so the I mean, distance is so short. I yeah. Mean, yeah. You, you see your close ones uh, every day if you want. Uh, Food-wise, I mean, just basic things. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can get some food that I'm used to from from some shops around around the Hague and in Amsterdam. So because it's a very cosmopolitan society here, uh, I naturally I miss my friends and conversation, just sitting you know face to face with them and and just just being there in the same room. But uh, that's part of the diplomatic mission, and I'm happily here with my family. We have quality family time, so they kind of compensate for the lack of mountains and friends. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one question as well, and yeah. I feel bad if I didn't say something about this, but um, Please. how do you feel about Borat? Because that is one, maybe one of the first things the most yeah. Westerners do. We were, we were debating yeah, very like, oh, long we if we're going to bring it up or not. We were like, yeah. can we? Yeah, yeah, please do because... Uh, yeah, we should ask more. <laughs> there should be a video on do YouTube. A Borat podcast. <laughs> because when Borat was released, I was in London. And it was part of the Ali G oh. show first. Uh, he was a part of Ali G, but then he made a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And we were with President Nazarbayev. Oh, uh, you were with him? Did, he, did he watch Borat? Yeah. No, he, he didn't. didn't. I okay. worked wow. 19 years uh, in his team. So I, yeah. I traveled with him from 1999 until 2017, everywhere abroad. And at that time, we were in London and Borat was released. And we knew that there was. And it was like a massive yeah, global hit. Yeah, huge. there was a feedback, and I said, "Okay, let's go." So we, me, and a couple of my friends, we went because we want to see what is this. Did you go to the cinema? We went to the cinema in London. It's very funny that you know the people there had no idea this was the Kazakhstani delegation. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were <laughs> going we, to we, see we, Borat. We were casual. No, we were casual <laughs> yeah. the three of us. I mean, the president was in the hotel, and I mean, the, this, most of the delegation was there. So we were younger generation. It was what yeah. two thousand three or something like that. So yeah. we went yeah. there. And we watched that. And one of these uh, persons with me was a press secretary. And he said, okay, I know tomorrow at the press conference at Downing Street 10, there will be journalists asking about Borat, the president. We have 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Good and thing it happened. you watched it and then. Good thing you watched, watched it. it. And we went to the president and said, Mr. President, oh, there is this funny movie. <laughs> but uh, it's a comedian. He makes money on jokes. Mm-hmm. His name is Sasha Baron Cohen. He came up in a different disguise before, but now he chose this strange name. Borat doesn't even exist as a name in Kazakhstan, first of all. <laughs> he he, he <laughs> made this filming in Romania in the village. The he the vi- filmed it in Romania. In Romania, in the village of gypsies, <laughs> or I mean, these people yeah. who, who trade TV for a cow or something like that. They are like gypsies. Sister from Ro- for yeah. cow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of thing. <laughs> so, it's, a, it, it's, it's just a total f- makeup and fiction. Mm. So we, we, we prepared the present. He was like, what is this movie about? And he, he didn't have a clue. So next morning, we have our official meeting. The Prime Minister was uh, His Excellency Tony Blair at that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we go out for the press conference. The president goes out for the press conference. And surely one of the journalists, I think number two question, was like, hey, Mr. President, what do you think about Borat? And he said, well, I, I didn't watch that movie. But from my, what I understand, this is a comedian. That's his job. He made a funny movie, but it's all fiction. Uh, t- many... Non- Everything is just a lie to make yeah. people <laughs> laugh. And actually, he flipped it and he showed how prejudicial is American society because yeah. he showed oh, yeah. Americans it's way more like critical very, yeah. very narrow-minded yeah. people singing this fake Kazakh yeah. anthem in this arena, bull arena in Texas. Yeah. 
making yeah. everyone kind of feel uncomfortable. So he was basically making fun of them. I that think was kind that was of the, the aim of that the was movie. The that was the yeah. actual um, He purpose. just took a country which people he knew people in America wouldn't know much about yeah. and was like, I'm going to illustrate yeah. how uninformed and unknowledgeable Americans are through this country. It wasn't so much about Kazakhstan, it was about America. Yeah, but yeah. just to give you more insider information about this, mm. because then now people in, in our embassy in London, they reached out to Sasha Burrow. I said, Sasha, can we talk? He said, yeah, <laughs> really? They, they went and said, Sasha, why? Why? <laughs> he said. Uh, you no, know, he said. You know what? I was looking for for a country, and then I saw this huge landmass in the middle of between Euro- Europe and Asia. It says Kazakhstan. I had no clue, <laughs> and I picked that because not many people know. Yeah. But he said, "You guys, you have to work more on you know promoting and informing course, people." Yeah. So yeah. And, I mean, that was good, and it had a very interesting effect because we had. A, a spike of people searching internet and really? googling for I Kazakhstan mean, yeah. because they wanted to see if it is that crazy as it is in the movie. <laughs> yeah, Turns it out really it's exists. not. Yeah, and I was just gonna say. So any publicity is a good publicity, of right? Course, yeah. So this is how it worked. That's great. Yeah. That's no, it's nice. So we, 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 we are cool. PR. Are cool. It was it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Free we PR. like it. <laughs> free PR, yeah. really, but uh, we know as long as people understand that this is a fiction, we are cool. Yeah. And when some people expect. Everyone to wear that strange the mankini, the mankini, mankini. The traditional Kazakh. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. that's insane. Come yeah, on, yeah. Yeah. people just read, read more. Be, exactly. be, be more open-minded. It's insane. It's very obvious. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, on that note, um, yeah, I think we'll th- end it up. Yeah. I think Thank you very much for coming in. It's been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, thank you for coming in. Thank Have you some for chocolate inviting. if you want to. Awesome if you feel like eggs. it. <laughs> yeah, it's about Easter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. And um, this is it. Thank, Thank you, you everybody for listening, right. who listened. And yeah, goodbye. See you guys later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for inviting.